electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Bono and Eisen, and Karen Feinerman. Tonight on Fast, a brutal sell-off rocking Wall Street. Stocks plunging with the S&P 500 dropping 3.5% to close just off session lows. The sell-off taking no prisoners. Every sector, every style of stock, whether it be growth, cyclical, value, even gold, finishing the day firmly in the red. The market now on pace for its worst week since March. At the heart of the selling, an alarming spike in COVID cases both here and abroad. Within the past couple of hours, Germany announcing drastic action, launching a new four-week shutdown of all restaurants, bars and theaters. Meantime, France imposing a second full-blown national lockdown that will require people to remain in their homes except when out for essentials. And here in the U.S., the seven-day average of new coronavirus cases just hit a new all-time high. So is this what drove today's sell-off? And what sorts of scenarios is the market pricing in? Tighter lockdowns here, a hit to the economy because of recessions abroad. Guy, what do you say? Yeah, it's fascinating, right? I mean, the market hasn't cared about a lot of the stuff that you just mentioned until for whatever reason this week. So, you know, I've been sort of wondering why the market hadn't been selling off. One of the things I've been saying is, you know, this VIX stubbornly above 25 for quite some time was trying to tell the market something, but the market didn't care. So my assertions, you know, my views on that were dead wrong. Now, all of a sudden, the market cares. But here, I'll paint you a sort of rosy picture tomorrow, if you may. So the VIX closed today, Mel, around 40, I think either side of 40. I know Tim has some comments on that. Go back and look. I think June 11th, the VIX topped out at 40. So that was a bit of a level where things improved on the market side. The other thing is, you know, you could potentially see a, a washout tomorrow morning uh, down to 3209, which, if we recall, was a September 24th low maybe close off those lows, have some great earnings from these four huge companies, and maybe you have the mother roll reversals on Friday. So I think that's the bull case, the bullish scenario for people that have been watching. I think 3209 is a likely uh, point of support on the downside in terms of the S&P. The VIX spike was shocking today, Tim, but you expect even more. Well, look, if you if you look at the VIX and you look at the levels back to where we peaked in, in March, uh, I mean, and you don't even weave in the, the volatility around the elections, you, you can make an argument. Um, we could see a VIX spike and double where it is here because, it, it, you know, the context of uh, what we can understand about the virus means it, we I don't think we should recreate those numbers. But uh, what we don't know about the market and what's ahead of us and 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 without getting to, as we use the term wonky to to, to define a lot of wonky terms. Um, you know, we don't really understand derivative structure uh, and where certain people might be positioning going into this. Uh, I think volatility is certainly has to move higher uh, because the apex of the round two or whatever we're calling this late round one of Corona is not with us. And then the other dynamic is we're going into the biggest day in earnings on Thursday when uh, if, if you think about where we were last quarter, every one of these companies 
just absolutely beat the bar and destroyed their numbers to the upside. Mm -hmm. uh, the bar is very high going in here. The leadership has never been more needed by the market. Um, and, and I think you have some concerns. I, you know, my glass half full and my my rosy uh, guy, Adami, is more just like the Fed is still here. Uh, the market has been here before. Thirty two hundred takes you back to those June highs or where we've come down to a couple times. And that will have been a 10 percent correction. Markets are already oversold. But the dynamics around where we are with covid and with elections and, you know, Lack of fiscal uh, means I think markets uh, and a lot of players have decided to sit this one to the side. Bono, and your take on the sell-off today? I mean, when you see indiscriminate selling, to me, it, it really indicates a rotation out of risk assets in mass. You mentioned it today earlier on the introduction in terms of gold as well. So things that we've previously viewed as as things where you can uh, hold as a store of value are also being sold off. So, yeah, this is a risk off trade for sure. And, and pointing back to the VIX, I mean, it's implying about a two and a half percent move on an annualized basis a day. And the stock market seems to just be catching up to that. I would continue to look at that as a leading indicator. You probably are going to have to hunker down and get used to an increased volatility regime in the interim. There's just no way around that. Karen, uh, what do you use as a hedge if the hedges don't seem to be working these days? Um, you know, I don't have a great answer to that, except that I'm selling some of my hedges. I, you know, I, I, I've seen volatility spikes before. Not that it can't go substantially higher. It can. But, you know, to me, there's a lot of fear sort of priced in already right now. So what I'm trying to do is sell some of the things that uh, are hedges. So S&P puts, for example, and then I got my list of things to buy. I didn't do any buying today, but on my list there's Disney, which is now below 120, um, UPS, which had great earnings and uh, terrible stock reaction, which I think Guy last night thought that would happen and that this would be an opportunity to buy UPS. Um, FedEx, if you don't own anybody, I already own some. And then TJX, also on my list. You know, a, a resurgence is really not good for TJ at max, but Longer term, you know, this is an extraordinary company. You don't get to buy it at this price very often. So it feels terrible to sell your protection when things look really ugly, but that's what, that's what you have it for. So I just keep, you know, sell some every day into the volatility. This is the third day of losses, Guy. And for investors out there who've been conditioned to buy the dip, this might be a rude awakening. So um, what would be your message tonight as we did see Every single, I mean, we didn't even get much of a bid to bonds. I mean, nothing really worked today. Yeah. <clears throat> no, but, you know, we have, listen, you know this better than anyone, Mel. I mean, we have seen days, weeks like this over the last year, year and a half before, no question. And the hedges that you spoke of haven't worked. And then a few days later, they start to work. And, you know, people that have waited and have bought when the market sold off to this magnitude have clearly been rewarded. The question is, has anything changed now? I think to Tim's point, I think the Fed is still uh, absolutely your friend. And I think there's going to be a lot of into Tuesday. I think there's going to be a concerted effort to make sure this market stabilizes in some fashion. I mean, that's just me trying to read the tea leaves here. So. It, I, my message is the same as it always is. You, you got to try to take emotion out of it. On days when the market goes up 500 Dow points, everybody deems it to be um, make sense, fundamentally driven. And then days like today, it's always panic. It can be panic on both sides, and it can be fundamentally driven on both sides. And I think we're finally taking the froth out. I'm glad 
Karen mentioned UPS. I, I, I didn't think anything was going to happen. What I pointed out, though, was the fact that UPS went up in a straight line from the summer and they really needed to have remarkable numbers for that move to continue. And I thought it would be a good thing to see a pullback. And here we are today yep. with that said pullback. All right. We've got some breaking news here on Regeneron and its COVID antibody treatment. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, we'd already seen initial data on Regeneron's antibody treatment suggesting that it worked to lower the viral load in patients recently diagnosed with COVID-19. We are seeing sort of more formal data from this clinical trial of more patients. So for 800 patients overall with recently diagnosed COVID-19, this study is showing that the drug reduced the risk of needing to go to the hospital or have other medical visits like the doctor's office by 57% overall in the trial compared with placebo. Now, in patients who were considered higher risk in terms of age or body mass index or having uh, immunocompromised status or other risk factors, um, the drug reduced uh, the need for medical visits by 72%. So this is quite a large benefit here. If you could reduce the risk of people getting severe disease if you treat them early by 57% or 72% if they're high risk, that would make a meaningful difference in the disease. Now, the problem is that Regeneron only has 50,000 doses available of this antibody treatment right now. Of course, they're waiting for the green light from the FDA with emergency use authorization, and they are ramping up production with hopes to get to 300,000 doses within a few months. But right now, now, uh, the doses are constrained. The stock up there about three and a half percent. Mel. Meg, this is the same antibody treatment uh, th- that it got EUA uh, for hospitalized patients, correct? No, the uh, this does not have emergency use authorization at all. This is the antibody cocktail that the president was treated with. Um, but right now, Regeneron has applied for emergency use authorization in this setting. So people who have not been hospitalized mm-hmm. but have been diagnosed with the disease, they're waiting for word from the FDA. Um, and Eli Lilly is in the same position. Um, Lilly's drug was shown not to help hospitalize patients, but it's thought in this earlier setting, antibody drugs could be useful. And Regeneron proving here uh, pretty clearly that they are. Yep. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell with the details on that. That would be very powerful psychologically Tim Seymour, if you knew that a a treatment existed out there that would prevent you from getting to the point of being in the hospital or reduce your chances. For sure. Yeah, that's right. Uh, So, again, more along the signs of a vaccine as opposed to a a, a treatment. And this is a case where um, think about some of those first announcements for the market when we were uh, not far off the apex of uh, at least where we were back in, call it the early spring uh, into early summer. Um, the, the market's response to those were, those events were, were powerful. The market needs something along those lines. The market has basically uh, been given some sense of, of where there's progress on multiple fronts, both in terms of treatments uh, and vaccines and certainly on testing. Um, but, but clearly, the news over the last couple of days, Europe in lockdown today, uh, what we're seeing out of you know, a number of different businesses and cities in this country that are not far behind that is something. This is exactly what the market needs. Uh, and I do think this is something that our, our country needs. Bonawin? Yeah, I mean, you, what you're seeing here is really 
the binary nature of what's going on. This is a pandemic-induced recession and rebound, and any news, incremental or not, is really going to lead and guide the market in terms of what the, the psychological and impulse response is really going to be. You're seeing the market trade lockstep. You're seeing implied volatilities trade lockstep, not only with earnings, but with what is coming out out of the White House and out of the CDC and other developments on the disease front. So I think Tim hit the nail on the head. This is certainly at the forefront. Days like today reinforce that. All right, let's get back to today's big sell-off. Joining us now is Deputy Chief Investment Officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors, Dan Suzuki. Dan, great to speak with you. Good to see you, Melissa. What was today all about, Dan? What, what's, what's different today versus seven days ago? Really not much fundamentally, and that's the thing. I think this is really more of a sentiment-driven sell-off, which is you know, to be expected. You know, I think that we all knew that coming to this part of the year, uncertainty was going to be really daunting. Uh, you know, especially in the absence of stimulus, you knew we knew, you know, listening to the experts that come on CNBC, that cases were going to be picking up at a pretty rapid clip going into the, this part of the year. Uh, and so we're, we just we're sitting here without a lot of visibility. So the market is extrapolating day to day, you know, very little incremental news on you know, vaccines, antibodies, stimulus and cases. And I think that the reality is, as you said, you know, relative to seven days ago, not much has really changed. So I think that um, this is to be expected. Um, and, and, you know, really the big uncertainties out there in the market come down to COVID and stimulus. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for the markets, both of which are going the wrong direction, uh, at least if you want higher markets. On the COVID front, though, things have changed. And I know I asked that question, Dan, but, but in terms of the European lockdowns, I mean, does that sort of foreshadow the possibility, uh, you know, that perhaps the U.S. is headed in that direction or even if the U.S. itself is not headed in that direction, that it will feel the hit economically from from economies tilting into recession in Europe. Yes, I, I think that that's right. I mean, you had uh, I think Scott Gottlieb was on CNBC today talking about how, you know, Europe is like three or four weeks ahead of us. And so, you know, the, the question is, you know, the extent of the lockdowns, I think we're going to take a targeted approach. Um, and but the, the reality is that this this pandemic and the nature of the virus, it's self-limiting. You know, we are, there's already a seasonal component, uh, you know, as things get colder, you know, the virus is going to pick up, infections are going to pick up. But then, if, you know, if you layer on the fact that we're trying to recover here, you know, the more you recover, the more people are active and interacting, the more you have cases and the more you have to step in to sort of shut things down. And so I think that it just puts a cap on where people's expectations can be for how fast we can recover, at least until we get you know, past the winter. So, Dan, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. Would you at this point wait for a specific level in the S&P before you would be uh, adding to your positions in the market or would you buy right now? Yeah, I think, you know, we don't tend to be sort of day to day traders. So um, but I think that, the you know, you look six to 12 months out, you know, I think it's a very reasonable base case to assume that profits are going to be you know higher. So I think you want to have stuff in the portfolio that is has exposure and that's going to benefit from that recovery. But as I mentioned, you know, the next few months, I don't think that we're going to get a lot of, you know, a lot more certainty uh, in the next few months. So I think that um, my personal view is, you know, rather than take, you know, most of the market has some sensitivity to fiscal uh, stimulus or COVID. But I think that there are areas in the market where you can go where that exposure, that sensitivity is a lot less. Like take China, for example, you know, they don't have a fiscal cliff coming up. 
and they don't really have an outbreak of, of, of COVID, right? So you can have exposure to areas that are seeing a recovery without these big one-sided market driving uh, you know, trends out there. Uh, and so I think that to me, right, at least for the near term, is a bit of a better risk reward. Hey, Dan, it's Tim. Thanks for joining us. One of the things that, that always is going to be part of the market setup is where we have come from in terms of market positioning. Uh, part of the recovery that, that happened off those March lows was not only just policymakers rushing in pretty aggressively, especially the Fed, but also where we were seeing significant amounts of cash out there. Where do you think the market is right now relative to both institutional retail positioning, uh, especially as we go into mega cap tech Thursday, when, when these have been the places to hide out? Yeah, I think overall, it's it's a pretty mixed story, right? I think that it's hard to make the argument based on all the different positioning data and sentiment indicators that, you know, people are over the moon, uh, but they are over the moon and, and, and really bullish in certain areas of the market. And these are those names that you're, you're talking about. So our view has been that people, what people don't realize is how incredibly bearish it is to only be bullish on this handful of stocks, right? You know, those were the big winners during the COVID crisis, so their outperformance was completely justified. But as we turn the corner, if you think that we are going to have a sustainable recovery, why would you own those names when you can own these names that are going to see, you know, double and triple the acceleration in their profits growth over the next six to 12 months? And so, you know, I think that's where, you know, probably sentiment is a little bit misplaced. And I think that that, you know, for us, we'd be, you know, continue to be underweight and we wouldn't necessarily be, you know, adding more. I think there's a lot of people that want to add more to these positions on this weakness. That's not the area that we would be adding to here. Dan, great to speak with you. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Dan Suzuki, Richard Bernstein Advisors. Guy Dami, I thought it was interesting. Think about how incredibly bearish it is to think about how many people are so bullish about a very small piece of the market. Yeah. And if you listen to the great Dan Nathan, that would be at risk reversal. I mean, he talks about simply he doesn't say it in those words, but he mentions it all the time. I think in one way, shape or form, we've all talked about it. The fact that you know, the market seems to whittle down to a handful of names that's sort of carrying the load. That's a problem. With that said, I know you're a huge ABBA fan. I know Tim is. And tomorrow is absolutely oh, yeah. the market's Waterloo. And yes, if that song comes on, I absolutely turn it up. And absolutely tomorrow is the Waterloo for the market. So, again, I think you're going to get decent numbers. I think 3209 the S&P trades down to. I think 40 might be a short-term top in the VIX. And maybe tomorrow we get that bounce that everybody mm. wants. All right. Coming up, we are charting today's sell-off. The chart master has the three names where you can seek safety. Carter Worth joins us straight ahead. But first, check out the big after-hours action and shares of Pinterest. The stock soaring after the company's latest earnings report. We'll dive into the numbers when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. 
We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a busy earnings night for you with reports out from Pinterest and Ford, both trading higher in the after hours. Full team coverage standing by. Philippos tracking, tracking Ford. But let's kick things off with Julia Borson and a monster move for Pinterest. Julia. That's right. Pinterest shares skyrocketing after beating expectations across the board with revenue accelerating to 58 percent growth from the year ago quarter, far exceeding the growth of any other quarters this year. Now, monthly active users also surpassing projections by five million, the company adding 26 million monthly active users in the quarter for a total of 442 million MAUs. International really driving that user growth, a 46 percent increase there. You see Pinterest shares now up about 29% in after-hours trading. Now, one interesting nugget here about that user growth, the company says it added 4 million global users who are looking for inspiration around Apple's operating system upgrade, Pinterest warning that those users could be more likely to turn. Now, looking ahead to the key holiday uh, Q4, the company is guiding for 60% increase in fourth quarter revenue, which also far surpasses analyst expectations of 35% growth in the fourth quarter. Now, the company is saying both in the third quarter and looking ahead, they have particular strength from small and medium business advertisers, also from international advertisers and large CPG advertisers. They're also seeing some of the benefit from their investment to bring shopping onto the platform. Pinterest also saying that it's benefiting from its brand safety on the platform, saying that it got a boost from the Facebook and Twitter ad boycott earlier this year. Those unclear how big that boost was and how long that boycott boost will last, though they say they do see the platform's positivity as what CEO Ben Silverman called a long-term competitive advantage. Melissa? Julia, thank you. Julia Borston on Pinterest. We sort of got a little sneak preview of what we may expect from uh, Snap and now with Pinterest and maybe foreshadowing what we can expect tomorrow on a very busy night of earnings, Guy. But I know that you follow Pinterest very, very closely. There's a lot to chew on uh, in this report in terms of upsides. Kudos to Rick Heisman, number one. The other thing is, and we talked when this went public, there were 300 million active users, up to 443 million 340 million of which they deem to be international. The ARPUs, I know Tim is going to jump in here, are 21 cents per international uh, user. If they can somehow turn to now, figure out how to monetize those folks better, this is off to the races because in the U.S., you're talking about ARPUs that are, I think, a dollar three or so, which, by the way, were much better than the street was looking for. 60% revenue growth. What's not to like? It's a tremendous company. And, you know, I'm wrong all the time, but this is one that we got right. I will say this, though. This is not a bad place, given the environment, to sort of take some money off the table if you've enjoyed the ride in Pinterest. But whilst you're doing that, you should absolutely go and check out my Pinterest page because it gets better seemingly <laughs> by the day, Melissa Lee, as you know. It's odd that it gets better by the day, considering you haven't posted anything in years. So I don't know how that actually yeah, happens. That makes it very odd. You're um, right. But maybe that's it's good, like, maybe it's like so a wine. Odd. It just it ages <laughs> nice well. Nice you know. Um, Karen Feinerman, the, the brand positivity is interesting because the implication of that is that there is a negative brand association with the likes of a Facebook. Right. Well, there certainly is. There's fire around it now. And today is a perfect example of that. I don't know how much of, a, of uh, that much, how much that depresses Facebook price. I do think some 
But so that is a good thing, and I recognize that. But that that revenue acceleration, not just this quarter, but talking about the revenue acceleration for next quarter, that is really phenomenal. As a Facebook owner, I'm happy about that. I don't believe. I think the pie is growing. I don't think that this is more about share. So I'm happy to see Facebook on a day that was down a lot. We'll see earnings tomorrow, and I think they're going to be very good. All right. Well, now let's get over to Phil LeBeau, who's got the latest on Ford. Phil. Melissa, the reason Ford share is moving higher is because these were much stronger than expected earnings for the third quarter, especially when you remember where this company was back in April. Production was shut down here in North America and for a good chunk of Europe as well. And yet, in the third quarter, they easily beat the street, earning 65 cents a share, well above the expectation of 19 cents a share. Revenue stronger than expected. Here's what drove it. Truck and SUV demand. We've talked about this for some time. It's not just Ford. It's everybody. People want their trucks and SUVs. They have very strong pricing right now. Look at what's going on when you try to go buy a new F-150 and there's improved execution. That's a key component here. This is a company that has not done well when it comes to execution over the last several years. Its fourth quarter guidance is for break-even to a loss of $500 million. Now, that may be disappointing to some people, but keep in mind, they've got three major vehicle launches coming up in the fourth quarter. They've got the uh, new F-Series. They've also got the Mustang Mach-E as well as the Bronco. You put all that together, all the costs that go into that, and that's why you're looking at a fourth quarter where they might have a slight loss. They are not yet giving guidance. As you take a look at shares of Ford, they are not yet giving that. But Jim Farley on the conference call just said, look, we're planning on doing that in the spring. And one last note regarding Jim Farley, Melissa. Having listened to these Ford conference calls going back over the Jim Hackett era Mm -hmm. and now this first call since Jim Farley is the CEO, night and day. He has come out of the gate and he has said, we're going to do this, this and this. We have weaknesses we will address. There is a clear game plan that he is laying out for for Wall Street. They're going to have all of those metrics in the spring in terms of guidance. But it's night and day in terms of the uh, the tone of the call itself. Wow. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Uh, Tim, we've been talking about a re-rating of GM. Should Ford get re-rated given the new CEO and the market change in tone even with the first conference call? Well, Yeah, that's great reporting by Phil, because I think he's hitting on the key things, especially around the redesign and the excitement with the the newly designed F-150, which is the most popular and most profitable model uh, of any car in North America by any automaker. Uh, And then you have the concept of 190,000 reservations on the Ford Bronco. The the EV story, which is probably a a, a 2022 story for them late, is is very exciting. The fact that they're fixing uh, broken European operations and really doing their best to get out of them and become more profitable and follow the lead of GM is extraordinary. There's going to be upgrades in this stock based upon these numbers. There's no question, uh, because the the year over year third quarter revenue was something that was not expected to be positive. It was up three percent. I think Ford's going higher. Coming up, there's a lot more earnings coming our way tomorrow. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook all on deck. How our traders are setting up for those mega reports. Plus, much more on today's big sell-off. One big market watcher says we are entering into a perfect storm. We'll explain when we come right back. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you are just joining us, it was a major sell-off on Wall Street. The Dow, S&P 500, and NASDAQ tumbling today on fears over spiking COVID cases uh, gripping Wall Street. Let's bring in Jonathan Golub, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Credit Suisse. Jonathan, great to have you with us. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Um, you, you think a perfect storm is coming. This all has to do with, with COVID um, getting worse. What do, you, what do you foresee? I mean, well, if, first, if you take a look at what's going on in the U.S., We've, we've gone from 25,000 cases a day to 75,000 in the last two months, so a tripling of cases. And we have to remember that this is before we started to all gather for Thanksgiving and Christmas. This is before the weather is getting colder and daylight savings time, so it's getting darker. Harder for us to gather outside, so we're going to be forced inside, which is going to push caseloads um, higher. Now, if this was by itself, it may not be a problem. But we, it's now you know, quite clear that not only won't we have a fiscal deal to, to bail out small companies and unemployed folks um, before Election Day, we're not going to get this until after Inauguration Day. And so the checks are not going to be available to support those small business owners until February or maybe even March. And that means is if we see some real economic hit here, the safety net has been taken away. Now, I'm not saying that all of this is going to play out in a worse case, because I don't think it will. But what it does mean is in the near term, the risk is to the downside. Today was all about this. Today was Europe is acknowledging that their numbers are, are really picking up much more than the U.S., mm-hmm. and they needed to take actions which aren't as bad as what we saw in March or April, but they were directionally in that, you know, in, in that uh, direction, and that really spooked the market, and rightfully so. In terms of, of what is going on in Europe, Jonathan, let's, let's just suppose that here in the United States things um, are, are steady Eddie at this point in terms of this, in terms of the increases in cases and in positivity rates, et cetera. Um, could the hit from Europe, the impact on U.S. companies selling to Europe, could that impact what we're seeing here in the U.S. in terms of our economic recovery? Uh, sure. I mean, first of all, if everything, it really, it, it, I don't think that we're going to have this huge dichotomy between everything is perfectly fine in the U.S. and things are rougher in Europe. But if you look at part of the reason we've had this cyclical success over the last couple of months, and you see the 10-year bond yield having risen, a sign of more demand for capital, it was because we were seeing better numbers out of China, and it was a knock-on effect. And if you take all of Europe combined, much more important to us economically than China alone. There is uh, this belief, though, Jonathan, that the Fed will be there. 
that the Fed will somehow save us, will make things better, even because of the lack of fiscal stimulus. Do you, do you believe that? You know, I, I, when people ask me the question, I ask them, let's assume you're a small business and you can't pay your bills Are you, and, and, and you have to go bankrupt. How, how important will it be that the Fed's going to buy another $100 billion worth of 10-year treasuries? And the person always looks at me and be like, I wouldn't care. If I can't pay my bills, I can't pay my bills. So there's a role for the Fed to play to make sure the company is, you know, and, and can borrow and that the banking system is healthy. And that's worked really well. But, but without that support for small business and, you know, and that guy who may lose his job, uh, this, the, the Fed's actions are really going to have very little impact in the near term. Longer term may be different. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Quick question. Um, you, you mentioned the small business, and I think one of the things that we want to touch upon is the market versus the economy. What will it take for that small and, and medium business enterprise to get that uplift? Do you think perhaps um, less, less bipartisan fighting? or I mean, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. What do you think it will take for that section of the economy to see the uplift that we've seen in some of the more public, publicly traded companies? All right, I'm gonna, let, let me spin your question a slightly different way, which is why is it that big companies have been able to hold on where the small business guy has just had a much tougher time? If we think about the things that have happened in our personal lives, you know, we're, we can't go to the gym, so maybe you buy a Peloton. You're, you're stuck at home, so you're, you're buying a, a, a laptop because you have to work from, uh, from home. You're going and fixing up your garden, and you go to a home improvement store like a Home Depot to, to buy things. All of those kind of names are really big cap names. And so if you then say, well, who's been hurt? the local dry cleaner, the guy who, the car wash, the, your, your local restaurant. And so it's somewhat random and somewhat unfortunate that this bifurcation is not about what is the Fed doing and, and the like. It really is that the basket of companies. Now, if you look outside of the U.S., um, they don't have the same benefit. The, those big companies I mentioned, not only are they you know, public companies, big companies, but they're also almost exclusively American companies. And so this is not being, the pain is not being spread around equally and fairly, and large-cap, growth-oriented U.S. companies have just been on the right side of this, uh, this trade. Yep. Jonathan, great to speak with you. Thank you. Jonathan Golub of Credit Suisse. I think that there are a couple of interesting things, Karen, that jumped out at me at least. He, Jonathan basically made the case for large cap uh, companies like a Home Depot, et cetera, that are on this right side of the trade. And the notion that the Fed can't solve a solvency issue. They can help with a liquidity issue. But when it comes to Main Street uh, and the jobs that Main Street produces uh, and, and holds, it, it can't help it if, if that restaurant's going to go belly up. The Fed is just won't be there. Right. They can't access that small business, can't access the, uh, access the credit markets like a Home Depot who doesn't need the money but mm -hmm. could access a lot of money almost instantaneously. So I, that, that's an excellent point. It you know, makes me wonder, can we see a more um, targeted stimulus that would have bipartisan support and leave the rest for later? I would think that politicians from each side of the aisle are going to be under tremendous pressure from their constituents to get something done to help small business. The shame of the sell-off, Tim, if I could go in this direction, is that it didn't happen earlier. Maybe this would actually incent people in Congress to come up 
with a deal to make some concessions and get some help on the way to the American people? Yeah, I mean, look, look, they didn't hear the SOS, um, not to quote another Abitune, but, but you know, if you, if you think about uh, the stakes at hand in Washington and the winner taking it all is something that it seems to be the most important thing. I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the dynamic for markets right now is you did have a number of companies that pulled forward a lot of earnings. Uh, you had companies like Best Buy, you had companies like Apple that were also great, you know, very much beneficiaries of the first round of stimulus. And, and the question is, um, when is that next stimulus coming? And are the companies that have already been, you know, winner takes it all, somebody that can do something in, in round two? So uh, I think the markets need to wait and see. And I, right now, I don't see markets getting away from us to the upside. Coming up, looking for some cover in this sea of red. The chart master is breaking down three safety plays and all the volatility. Uh, those names from Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. The S&P just handed in its worst day since June 11th. And if you're looking for some safety from this storm, the Charmaster has some names for you to consider. Cornerstone Macro's Charter Braxton Worth joins us now uh, to lay out some safety trades to get us through this carnage. Carter. Sure, a couple names, but uh, let's talk about just sort of, uh, you know, what you just said, one of its worst days in quite some time. So how, how bad? Meaning, Let's find all instances in the history of the data, 1927 to present, where the S&P has dropped more than 3.5%. Well, we examine that. There are 214 instances out of, let's say, 23,000 trading sessions since 1927. So you've got a probability of occurrence of about 1%. Now, the data looking forward, one session later, one week, one month, is almost 50-50. So there's no insight as to what tomorrow will bring statistically, but what we do know is it's very rare to drop as much as 3.5%. But more importantly, it's all about tech. Tech being down 4.3% is what essentially drives the market. Here are the numbers on that. Um, if you look at all data, 1989 to present, when the tech sector was created and all GIC sectors were created, every single trading session, and look at them, when tech is down, the S&P is down 82% of the time. When tech is up in any given session, the S&P is up 79% of the time. Everything hinges on this. So today, of course, worst sector was tech, and the market got smoked. In any event, um, how far could we go? Uh, anybody's guess, but uh, moving averages do matter. If you were to look at where the 150-day moving average comes into play, that's at 3,155. Uh, that's about 3.5% lower from where we are now. Uh, that would be a peak to trough decline of about 12%. Now, interestingly, of course, we had a 10% uh, sell-off uh, in the September period, and where we'd have a, this one back-to-back 12%, -back it, it, it does bring to mind, you know, the concept of a double top. As to where to hide, uh, you can pick any number of names. I've got three. Uh, let's look at them. The first is GE. Uh, most importantly, it's been basing for quite some time. Two, it was green today. That's a feat in and of itself. Everything was red, practically. GE was green, and we know that it just came out with results that were happy, let's say it that way, or less bad than would be expected. The second is Chubb. A CB is the ticker, also up today, and also a common chart pattern to GE, a bearish to bullish reversal, a real laggard that has started to base 
and that is showing tremendous relative strength in the face of selling pressure across the market. And the third is a more obvious thing, it's Nextera, NEE. It is the big weighting in the S&P 500 utility sector. In fact, it's 16% of the XLU, the ETF, and it is uh, as close to an impervious circumstance as I think one could find in the market. Carter, 31.55, if we don't hold that, what's the next level? Well, there aren't really levels, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. meaning uh, we quickly ascended just as we quickly declined, right? The pandemic declined, the quickest 30% uh, decline ever, four, five, six weeks, and then an equally impressive ricochet, Fed assisted or not. And so just as you can ricochet quickly from a preceding decline, pandemic down, Fed drive you back up, you can also plunge back down quickly again. It's as low as the market wants to go. And, and here's the thing, let's just put it in this context. If a company as widely observed and followed as Microsoft, or 40, 50 analysts, or their livelihoods are dependent on getting it right, their economic survival, and they collectively believe it's gonna earn $1.50 and it comes in $1.82, it just shows how vague the whole thing is. How could that be? Meaning the market can go as low as the imagination will allow, just as Microsoft can surprise 40 or 50 experts to that degree. Wow. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxtonworth, Cornerstone Macro. Guy, um, what struck your fancy? Chubb, I mean, first mm -hmm. of all, Colin, Colin, Carter reminds me of Colin Firth. I think you're familiar with that actor. I only mention it because it seems to be Abba night tonight. So, and, you know, <laughs> Carter is just the, the, the genie of the lamp. But, you know, if you look at Chubb, I mean, you have tremendous earnings growth. Look at the day it had today on what was a miserable tape. You can only imagine how well it would have done. So the question is, is this a tell? And I'm a big believer in tells. There's a trade up to that June high, which I think is about 146. So, Carter mentioned the downside in the S&P 500. That makes sense. We sort of alluded to similar levels. I look at Chubb and say, you know what, on a bad day, performed really well post-earnings. Maybe that has some more giddy-up on it, Mel. All right, coming up, watch out. There is a tech earnings avalanche ahead. How will these stocks react once the results drop? We'll dig into the options pits for more on that. Much more Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a huge slate of big tech earnings on deck for tomorrow. Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, Facebook, all set to report in what could be a pivotal day for the markets into the end of the year. Traders are betting that some monster moves could be in the cards for these names. Mike Coe's got the options action. Mike? Yeah, so an unusual circumstance with all of them stacking up their earnings like this. And the options markets are implying some pretty big moves for some pretty big stocks that have already moved quite a big amount. Apple, which has moved about 4.6% over the last eight quarters. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5.5%. When we take a look at Amazon, similarly, this is a stock that has moved about 4.6% over the course of the last eight quarters. That one's implying a move of about 5.9%, higher or lower. Facebook, even more. That has averaged about 5.5% moves after, over the last eight quarters. Right now, it's implying a move of about 6.7%, higher or lower. And Google, a.k.a. Alphabet, 4.3% uh, average over the last eight quarters, right now implying a move, the smallest of the bunch, of about 5%. But these are all huge companies that represent disproportionate shares of the equity markets. And when you measure a market cap with a trillion, then moves of these percentages are tens of billions of dollars each. So we're looking at some pretty big anticipated moves by the options markets when they report earnings. Wow. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe. And of course, the full show options action Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Bono, and how do you how do you use implied moves, particularly when we have seen 
big moves already? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you asked. So the implied moves, I think, are really important. One, for earnings, let's be honest, right? It's somewhat of a coin flip. You have no way of knowing. And we've seen, Carter pointed it out, you have experts that do this for a living, yet you see beats and misses, right? So the implied moves are only going to be as good as the data inputs that you have. But what they will tell you is what are normalized moves. And when you see moves outside of those ranges, those, to me, are where you start to establish buying and selling points. Karen, um, which one you own a couple here in the group reporting tomorrow? So which one will you be following most closely? Uh, it's, it's hard to follow two things at once or four things at once. Probably Google, Facebook, Apple, and Amazon in that order because I don't own Amazon, but it surely matters a lot. That's going to be a crazy day. Yeah. Tim? Well, I, I still think we have a chance to get to 245-ish on the triple Q's NASDAQ 100, which would then be a 25% pullback. But that, that, that should have been Carter's segment. I, my, my view is on Apple. Uh, you've got a case here where we've pulled a lot of sales forward. I, I have no issue being an investor of Apple all the way through this, uh, especially based upon the, the capital markets dynamics. Uh, Apple's been money, money, money to anyone that stayed in the trade. But I think you have to be very careful about the bar that was set from the last earnings profile into this one. And I don't I don't expect the market to love the numbers tomorrow from Apple. Yeah. Guy, you're smirking. Why? Why is that? <laughs> no, because Tim is just I mean, he's just going all full out Abbott tonight. Um, and I think out of all of them, Facebook, probably I, I, I loathe everything about Facebook other than the stock. I've said that for a while. And I think, you know, Facebook proved itself when it held 245. But. I just want to mention uh, Bono and Eisen, we call him B Ice Breaker a few weeks ago, did a little bit of a power pitch in First Solar. And there was clearly something in the air that night because my man Fernando uh, rocked that uh, sucker. And it's worth mentioning uh, that First Solar had a monster uh, move. So I just want to give my man B Ice uh, a shout out, Melms. Yeah, I thought of Bono sure and immediately when the, when the earnings crossed the tape yesterday, we saw that 11% pop in the after hours. Bono, and just quickly before we leave this, we got to know. You know, for all, you, all those people out there who actually followed, followed you into that stock, what are you doing? Well, they're, uh, they're treading into murky waters following me. But um, no, jokes aside, uh, what I'd be doing here is looking to uh, put a stop in here, mid-80s mid level where it kind of based before it made that run higher. And then keep in mind that, listen, it looks like the market is trending lower. Be ready to put cash to use. I also like looking at names like Run, Solar Power Insulation, Blue sweep, I think you're still well positioned. I still think there's upside in the name. Okay, let's talk about tomorrow. Today was really rough. This week has been really rough. So, Karen, you flip on your screen tomorrow morning. What are you looking for? I'm looking for the VIX to move one way or another. You know, that whoosh down is kind of okay if the market fills in after that. I don't know. We'll see. You know, we had some good earnings tonight. We had that good news that Meg told us about uh, for Regeneron. Maybe that changes sentiment a little. I don't know. Um, but I think the VIX is what you have to keep your eye on. Tim, how about you? Yeah, I want to watch oil also. Remember, oil's been one of these, these uh, canaries in terms of the volatility down. Oil had a huge move down. Remember, oil is what really led us down. It's not the reason we went down, but it led us down back in February. So I want to see some stabilization there. Um, I want to see some recovery in, in some of the mega cap 
uh, tech names at least going into those numbers? Because I, I think that the, the sense here is that there's a lot of folks that are leaning on one side of the boat and, and we need to see a little more balance to the market. But um, I, look, I want to see better cases in COVID. I, I want to see better data. Uh, I'm afraid we're not going to get it. But that's really what the market's looking at. Yeah, Guy. There's been a flight to quality in the form of the U.S. dollar. I think that's misguided. If you're bullish, what you're hoping for, in my opinion, is you see the S&P come in 25, 30 point, 30 handles lower to Karen's point with a VIX that uh, doesn't go higher or maybe even goes lower. I think that would be a tremendous setup into earnings tomorrow night. Yeah, Bono, and what will you be looking for tomorrow morning? Uh, I, I echo the VIX. I think right now that really is a barometer of implied moves. We're seeing unprecedented volatility. Uh, as Carter mentioned, three and a half percent move down has happened one percent of times throughout uh, historical observations. That is what is guiding me as, as well as technical levels in terms of levels where I'm comfortable entering and exiting stocks. OK, up next, we got your final trade. Brutal day on Wall Street as we await earnings from mega cap tech tomorrow after the bell. The Dow finished lower by 943 points or three and a half percent. S&P 500 down three and a half percent as well. Third straight day of losses there and the Nasdaq down by three point seven percent. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour, what do you say? Well, you know that AB is one of the great palindromes uh, you could you could come up with. You got it. Anyway, don't, don't take a chance on me. Take a chance on Tencent. This is one of the great tech companies in the world that I actually think has been held back by some of the U.S.-China uh, big tech incubator, Tencent. That was actually a good one. Uh, Karen. Thank you. Yes. So we followed the Tiffany saga for a long time. And there was some news today that they're in talks to maybe have a slightly shaved deal which makes sense. I mean, Tiffany would win if it went to court, but you never know. You never know for certain. So I sold my Tiffany because you know, the name of the game in risk arb is risk reward, and the risk reward is no longer there at just under 130 bucks a share. Bonoin. So sold Tiffany. Mm-hmm. Bonoin. Market up, market up 2%, market down 3.5%, VIX at 25%, VIX at 40%. Peloton has been undeterred on its march forward. I'm looking for a level to get in. Hard time to reach here, but it's definitely on my watch list. Guy, where it is again, pitch black, you know, even Meryl though it's Street, pitch black Meryl nowhere Streep else. Is, yeah, yeah, <laughs> pitch black. Meryl Streep is a huge Fast Money fan, number one. Number two, can't do CBW without CB, Chubb. Mm. Back to you. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.